All right, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 34. It is a, it's a great privilege to open up the Word of God and read it and ponder it. One of the, one of the worst things that could happen to a people would be for there to be a, a famine for the words of the Lord and for us to be consigned to live only by the words of men or the counsels of our own heart. We, we need the words of God, and by His grace, we get to ponder them together and to let them sink into our hearts. So let's, let's hear the Word of God read with that eagerness, a, a strange and yet very powerful passage this morning, Genesis chapter 34, beginning in verse 1. Holy Scripture says, now... Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Give me this girl for my wife. Now, Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done." But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised. For that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for behold, the land is large enough for them. 
let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people, when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones, and their wives, all that was in the houses, they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? This is the word of God, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this particular word would would not return void, but that it would instruct, encourage, warn, and direct our steps that we might walk honorably with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If, if you are going to abide in the peace of the Lord, then it is absolutely essential that you learn how to respond to sin rightly. See, often we think that our greatest problem or threat to our well-being is other people's sins what other people might do to us or to our loved ones. In reality, however, we really need to learn to look at this whole thing from a different angle. Other people are going to sin. Other people are going to sin against us and the people we love. Welcome to sin world. That's what people do. Shouldn't, but, but they do. The question, the critical question for our lives, our families, our congregation, our communities, the critical question is, will we, will we respond rightly and justly, biblically, to other people's sin? There's a, there's a lot riding on that particular question, because if we respond rightly to other people's sin, we will abide in the peace of the Lord. 
If we do not abide, if, 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 if we do not respond rightly to other people's sin, then we will trouble our households. You see, at the end of Genesis chapter 33, Jacob has arrived in the land of Canaan peacefully, and he is at peace in the land. He has bought property and built an altar to worship the Lord. Life is good. At the end of chapter 34, he is troubled and feels ashamed and threatened. What happened between the end of chapter 33 and the end of chapter 34? What happened is that his sons responded unrighteously to sin. I want to walk through the story, and then we'll, I want to revisit this highly relevant moral exhortation that we learn to respond justly to sin. So let's, let's walking, walking through the text here, someone sins in verses 1 and 2. Dinah, the daughter of Leah, and Jacob, uh, she went out to see the women of the land there in, 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 in the city of Shechem, in the land of Canaan. Now, all I'll say is that from, from, from what we know of, of the background from Genesis chapters 12 through say, 26, and the experience of, of Abraham and Isaac, and they were, they were so concerned about the well-being of their, actually, of themselves, as they were traveling with their wives in foreign lands, that they would, they would actually lie and say that their wife was their sister, uh, because they were so concerned that a local would take, want to take their wife and kill them. And they wanted to save their own skin. But just, but just with that, that background context in mind, it, it, uh, it, it seems, it seems uh, highly questionable what, what Dinah is doing here in terms of wisdom. She's putting herself in a very vulnerable position. Of course, that doesn't justify anything that might be done to her, but the point is, that's the context of this passage. She is vulnerable. And then in, in verse 2... The prince of the land, not just any local, but the, basically the, the son of the city king, Hamor, uh, this prince Shechem sees Dinah and takes her. Now, I want to make a couple points, and, and this might uh, cause a little bit of uh, disagreement, and that's okay. I want to be very clear that the, the purpose of this passage is not to analyze the, the ins and outs of Shechem's sin. And so, even if there is disagreement as to the exact nature of Shechem's sin, the passage isn't really about that. The passage, he sinned, and the passage is really about how Jacob's sons responded to that sin. But a lot of, a lot of uh, contemporary translations and even chapter headings that translators have put in here, a uh, they assume or they interpret this uh, action of Shechem as a, as a violent rape. And I'm not, I'm not at all convinced that that's actually what's going on here. If you think about the 
the attempted gang rape of Genesis chapter 19 and the actual gang rape of Judges chapter 19 and the, the rape of Tamar by her half-brother Amnon in 2 Samuel, this, 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 this passage reads differently. And of course it goes on where we actually see that Shechem has a, a great love for, for Dinah. Um, the terminology in verse 2, there's what four, four verbs... Shechem saw and took. The ESV translates it seized, but that's an interpretation. It just means took. It's, it's the same word for, uh, you know, Eve took the fruit. <laughs> uh, it was forbidden, but she, she took the fruit. Uh, Eve saw and took. Shechem saw and took and lay with her and humiliated her or it could be literally humbled her or, or afflicted her or mistreated her. And that description could fit uh, if Shechem simply took initiative to have unlawful sexual relations with uh, a young woman outside of marriage, or if he charmed her and seduced her, or if he raped her. All, all, of, all of those, uh, verse 2 could well describe any of those relational dynamics. And it, do, it doesn't seem like a, a, violent, a violent assault um, in terms of the overall context of this passage. There's another aspect to this sin, though. It's not only an unlawful sexual conduct that is perpetrated against Dinah, and, and now uh, on Shechem's account, she has lost her, her virginity, a very precious gift. But there's another dynamic to the sin here, and that is that Shechem is a Canaanite. And, you know, if you think about the, the early readers of the book of Genesis would have, been, would have been hearing this passage alongside the instruction from Deuteronomy that they were absolutely forbidden to have any intermarriage with the seven nations of Canaan, including the Hivites. And so, 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 so part of the, the outrage, like in verse 7, a big part of the outrage of what's going on here isn't, isn't the, just the ins and outs of the unlawful sexual interaction, but it's, it's the fact that there has been a Canaanite incursion into the Israelite community, which we know from later scripture was absolutely forbidden and out of, out of step with the practices of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they, 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 they did not pursue marriage with the Canaanites. So, someone sins, verses 1 and 2. Now, in, moving to verses 3 to 12. The one who sinned proposes an almost reasonable solution. Uh, now, you might laugh, but, but hang, hang with me. I'm, I'm, this is a very, very, very serious point here. Um, Shechem, it says in verse 3 that his soul was drawn to Dinah. That, that terminology, drawn to, it's the same Hebrew terminology from Genesis 2.24 where a, a, a husband is to cling to his, his wife. His soul was drawn to Dinah. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her and desired her hand in marriage and asked his father to secure that marriage. And, and of course, in, in, verse, uh, in verse 8, Hamor makes that appeal to Jacob and Jacob's sons. And then 
Specifically in, in, verse, in verses 11 and 12, Shechem himself makes that appeal. Now, the, the reason I say that it's an almost reasonable solution is that there is a passage, there's instruction in Deuteronomy chapter 22 that envisions this kind of situation and commands the man and woman to get married. <laughs> uh, let me show you the passage. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 28 and 29. <clears throat> of course, it wasn't written yet. Shechem didn't know about this command. Neither did Jacob and his sons, but it's, it's, very, uh, it's very similar uh, language. It says in Deuteronomy 22, verse 28, if a man meets a virgin who is not betrothed and seizes her, that's a different word than the one in chapter 34. It's a little, it might be a little bit stronger. Not just takes, but, but lays, lays hold of her and seizes her and lies with her and they are found. Then the man who lay with her shall give to the father of the young woman 50 shekels of silver and she shall be his wife because he has violated her. Same, same word. Violated her, humiliated her, humbled her, afflicted her from Genesis 34. He may not divorce her all his days. So it's really interesting. And, and the only reason I say that Shechem's solution is almost reasonable is because he's not a Hebrew. He's not part of the Israelite community. That instruction from Deuteronomy, which was to come later, was to, was to, to be practiced among members of the Israelite community. But Shechem was an outsider. He was a Canaanite. And if, if, if Jacob's family was going to honor the tradition that they had received from, their, their, from the patriarchs not to intermarry with the Canaanites, then Shechem's request was going to be dead on arrival. But you can appreciate his, his line of thought because he truly loves the girl. And I wonder, I wonder if Jacob has any sympathy here. You know, we, 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 don't, we don't hear any words from the mouth of Jacob until the very end when he gives his assessment upon the actions of his sons, Simeon and Levi. But, I mean, Jacob, Jacob knew what it was like in Genesis chapter 28 to be absolutely enthralled with a young woman, Rachel, and he, he would have done anything for her. In fact, he labored seven years to get Rachel's hand in marriage, and they seemed to him but a few days. And here, here Shechem, is, he's willing to give anything. He's willing to pay a very handsome sum in order to obtain Dinah as his wife. Furthermore, what did we just, what did we just learn about in, in chapter 33? Jacob was so concerned to find favor in Esau's eyes. And he found that favor. And now here's a young man, Shechem, enthralled with his daughter. And what does he want? Let me find favor in your eyes. Just, just wonder if Jacob had any sympathy for the young man. But Jacob's sons had no sympathy for the young man. Of course, Jacob heard about the defilement, verse 5. He, he, he didn't respond immediately to the situation because he wanted to wait for his sons to come in from the field and eventually they did come in and you can see there in verse 7 that Jacob's sons were indignant and very angry and that 
that sets the stage for what is to follow. You know, it, there, there is such a thing as righteous anger. We, we, we can appreciate that Jacob's sons felt some measure of righteous anger <clears throat> regarding the honor of their sister and the honor of their family. And yet how easily even righteous anger can get twisted and go sideways. And so they, they, they have this indignant and great anger, and it just raises the question for us. And I want to I put this question on your radar screen because it's going to be relevant to our application. When you are in a situation where you have to respond or you are responding to someone else's sin, what is governing your response? Are, are, you, are you being governed by powerful and unruly emotions? Or are you taking those emotions, submitting them to the will and wisdom of God and seeking his counsel and his will? That, that's, that's the big question. But for, for Jacob's sons, they, they got carried away with their emotions, and that leads into the next section there, verses 13 to 29, the aggrieved party's family pursues an unrighteous response. The, the, the whole covenant proposal that Jacob's sons make to Shechem and Hamor is framed in deceit, verse 13. They, they play the, the circumcision card. We can't we can't, uh, we can't give our daughter, our sister, to an uncircumcised man. True enough. But of course, they're, they're, this is all a ploy. So they, they, in deceit, they propose this covenant where the, the men of Shechem will receive circumcision, and then the, the two peoples will become one and they're, you know, through, through intermarriage, and they'll be one people. I'm reminded of the... the how the, the treacherous one is described in, in Psalm 55, that though his words are as smooth as butter in his heart, he's making war and his swords are drawn and he's ready to inflict violence. I'm also reminded of Proverbs 3, verse 29, uh, you know, just... At, at this point, at this point, Jacob's family should have been neighborly with the Shechemites. Uh, Proverbs 3.29 says, Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. And you know what's interesting is that the Shechemites did dwell trustingly beside uh, Jacob's family. Uh, he... he, he Shechem and Hamor say in verse 21, these men are at peace with us. They, they trust Jacob's sons. And, and, and Shechem is so enthralled with Dinah that he, he's willing to do anything to obtain her as a wife, and he's, he's more than willing to be circumcised. Moreover, he's more than willing to use his, his clout. He's the prince of the land, and it says in verse 19 that he was the most honored of all his father's house. He's willing to use his clout, his, 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 his capital, as it were, in order to, to draw all of the men in the city into this 
act of circumcision. And, and Shechem and Hamor assure the men of the city that this is in their best interest, that they will, that they will be enriched and blessed by having this union with Jacob's family. And so the men get circumcised. And a couple days pass. And what happens? It says, on the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, this is verse 25, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city. <clears throat> it's worth noting that, as the text does, uh, Simeon and Levi are so, they're sons of Leah. So they are Dinah's full brothers. There's a, there's a lot of half-brothers, right, in Jacob's family. But Simeon and Levi are full brothers to Dinah. So it makes sense that, they're, that, that they have a greater attachment to, to Dinah than some of the half-brothers would have had. And carrying out this deceit and this ploy when their neighbor Shechemites were weak and vulnerable, they went on the attack, they killed all the males in the city, including Shechem and Hamor. They take Dinah out of Shechem's house, and then it says in verse 27 that the sons of Jacob, that would be more than just Simeon and Levi, but other sons of Jacob came and plundered the city, and so now, basically, Jacob's family takes everything remaining that belonged to the Shechemites in terms of their livestock, in terms of the women, and in terms of the young children. So, moving to verses 30 to 31, uh, the aggrieved party's treachery, this is Jacob's sons, of course, their treachery brought trouble upon their family. Be be before, I, before I dig into this a little bit, just, just realize, you know, the Bible doesn't just give us, uh, you know, principles that are written kind of in an abstract way, like, you know, don't respond to sin unrighteously. It, it, the Bible doesn't just say things like that. It shows us. It shows us how awful it is and how much trouble it brings to respond to sin unrighteously. And, and you and I are living there all the time. Pe people in our, in, our, in, our, in our families, in our congregation, in our workplaces, in our community, in our world, people are sinning all the time. And we're constantly in the situation where how are we responding to that sin? How are we responding to that offense? And responding to it wrongly creates a world of trouble. And that, that's, what's, that's what's going on in the world. A world of trouble because justice is being pursued sinfully. So the aggrieved party's actions bring trouble upon their own household. I want it to be clearly etched in your mind how wrong-headed were the actions of Simeon and Levi and Jacob's sons more generally. Uh, so just, just consider these points. Number, number one, the whole, the whole thing, the whole thing was, was set up with deceit. Deceit seems to run deeply in Jacob's family, doesn't it? The fact of the matter is, is that deceit runs deeply in the human race. Romans chapter 3. Secondly, one of the principles of biblical justice is that the punishment should fit the crime. 
You saw for yourself, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 28 and 29, but the Simeon and Levi's response to Shechem's sin is wildly and spectacularly disproportionate to the sin that had been committed. Now the entire male population has been massacred. Every head of household is dead. Every wife without a husband, every child without a father. And, and, and then everything that remains has been basically captured and is now under the possession of Jacob's family. The, 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 the punishment does not fit the crime at all. Thirdly, I read this, uh, I read this little article from a devotional, I think it was, from Legionnaire Ministries. And they, they made a very good point. I'm going to quote them. It says, uh, Shek, uh, Jacob's sons used the ceremony of circumcision in which God pledges to keep his covenant promises faithfully in order to deceive Hamor and his subjects. It, it, would be like, it would be like using the ordinance of the Lord's Supper or the ordinance of baptism as a as a pretext for luring our enemies into a false confidence and then turning on them and killing them. It, it, turns, the ordin- it turns the holy ordinance into a sacrilege. It takes, it takes the, the covenant of the Lord in vain. I mean, if the Shechemites were truly accepting the right of circumcision as an act of conversion to the one true and living God, that would be one thing. That would be a completely different situation. But that's not the situation here. The circumcision was part of a ploy to feign peacemaking in order to make war. Fourthly, the fourth reason why we know that Simeon and Levi's action was wrongheaded is because of what Jacob says in verse 30. You have brought trouble on me. God is blessing Jacob. God has just blessed Jacob through Esau, but Jacob's sons are bringing trouble on on me, he says, by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land and putting Jacob's family in a a shameful and, and threatened situation. Of course, Simeon and Levi respond there in verse 31, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Well, that's a good question. Obviously, Shechem shouldn't treat Dinah like a prostitute. Of course, it's a fascinating conclusion to the account. That question just kind of hangs in the air. And one question you might ask by way of response would be, Simeon and Levi, should you treat all of the men of Shechem like enemy combatants? But Think about how this question at the end of the chapter sets the stage for what follows. Do you know what follows in Genesis chapter 35? Simeon and Levi's full brother Reuben sleeps with Jacob's concubine. Do you know what happens in Genesis chapter, I think it's Genesis chapter 38? Jacob, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Judah Judah, a full brother of Simeon, Levi, and Reuben, Judah marries a Canaanite woman and then literally treats his 
daughter-in-law like a prostitute. Who's got the moral high ground here? This question just hangs in the air, setting the stage for what follows. The fifth reason, and actually the most decisive reason why we know that Simeon and Levi's conduct was totally inappropriate is because of Jacob's final words to them in Genesis chapter 49. You can turn there. Genesis chapter 49. We'll get there eventually in our sermon series, but I want you to see this now because this was no small thing. It says, this is when Jacob is blessing his sons at the end of his life, and basically he pronounces a curse upon Simeon and Levi. Genesis 49, verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh, my glory, be not joined to their company, for in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Is your anger fierce? Is your wrath cruel? Do you let your emotions get in the way of better judgment? And do you let those emotions govern the way that you respond to other people's sin, the way that you respond to other sinners? For you are a sinner as well. I want to I want to I want to leave you with uh, with a couple things coming out of this passage. The first is a moral exhortation that runs right along with how I introduced the sermon in the first place, and that is that I, I want to exhort you to eagerly pursue just and righteous responses to other people's sins. And just and righteous encompasses not only honesty and truthfulness and correction, but also humility and gentleness and graciousness. You, You need to do your very best to make sure that your responses to other people's sins are in accordance with the Word of God, not in accordance with the counsels and feelings of your own heart. And, you know, it's very interesting about Genesis chapter 34 because Genesis chapter 34 doesn't tell us what a righteous response to Shechem's sin would have been. It only tells us that the response that Jacob's sons did have was unrighteous. And think about how sad this chapter is. They didn't didn't pray. Jacob Jacob had prayed for deliverance from Esau in Genesis chapter 32. And God delivered him. God hears and answers prayer. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 3, Jacob will say, he he will refer to God as the God who answers me in the the day of my distress. Where's, where's Where's the prayer? In Genesis chapter 34. They, 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 did, they didn't seek the face of God. I mean, it, it also says in chapter 35 that, that, that when they were 
traveling to Bethel there in verse 5, that, that God went before them and brought terror upon the other people so that they wouldn't hurt the sons of Jacob. What are they doing in chapter 34? How, how come they're not seeking the Lord's face and depending upon him in prayer and, and, and earnestly reaching out to him for counsel? Instead, what, what happens? We get a picture of Jacob's sons pursuing justice according to their own wisdom and in their own strength. And the, the Bible tells us to put away fierce anger, put away cruel wrath, to put away the bitterness and unforgiveness from our hearts so that we are able to graciously do what God requires us to do. What are biblical responses to other people's sins? Of course, they're, they're varied. It depends on the circumstances, but prayer and petition confrontation and correction, forbearance and forgiveness, no slander, no malicious gossip, no belittling the other person, no personal vengeance. Father, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Don't be fooled. The sign of a healthy church is not the absence of sin. The sign of a healthy family is not the absence of sin. The sign of a healthy church and the sign of a healthy family is that we are learning to respond to sin biblically and righteously and graciously and humbly and honorably. Amen. It is a beautiful thing when there is repentance and confession and forgiveness and peacemaking and taking time to work through stuff in order to seek peace one with another as brothers and sisters in Christ. The New Testament teaches us to expect that we will, there will be sin to deal with. There will be sin from the outside, from the world. We will be persecuted and mistreated and maligned. And there will be sin from with inside the church family. That's why Paul in Colossians 3 tells us to, to forbear, to be patient and to forbear, to put up with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against anyone else, to forgive. That very instruction assumes that we will injure and hurt and sin against each other in various ways. No surprise there. Don't act surprised when someone sins against you. But be earnest and diligent to respond to that sin humbly and graciously in keeping with the Lord's instruction. I just want to ask you a very direct question. Right now, are you struggling with and entertaining unjust responses to someone else's sin. It could be a spouse. It could be a child. It could be a brother or sister in Christ. It could be a coworker. It could be anybody. And, and, and you're stewing. You're scheming. You know what you'd like to do. Are, and my question is, are, are you going to take that thing, you're going to take that thing, 
and lay it before the Lord. And be resolved that you're not going to be governed by the flesh. You're not going to be governed by what your sinful heart wants to do. Your sinful heart responding to somebody else's sin. But you're going to be the Lord's minister of mercy, minister of grace, minister of correction. Eagerly pursue righteous responses to other people's sin. However, I don't want that to be the final thing that I say. I don't want anyone to think that our ability to abide in the peace of the Lord or to enjoy the blessing of the Lord ultimately depends upon our own performance. Yes, we must pursue righteousness and holiness and peace and love. Absolutely. But there's something beautiful about the the context of Genesis chapter 34. In Genesis chapter 28, I'm, I'm doing some summarizing here, but in Genesis 28, God promises that he is going to make of Jacob a great nation, numerous offspring, and that the Lord is going to work through Jacob's family to bring blessing to every family on earth. Wow, what a, what a high calling, what a big promise. And then you come to Genesis chapter 34, and it's like, wow, Jacob's family is a mess. And they're not bringing blessing to the city of Shechem. They're bringing destruction. Uh, Maybe we need a new plan. No, there's not going to be a new plan. In Genesis chapter 32, God blessed Jacob and and changed his name to Israel. And do you know what's going to happen in Genesis chapter 35? God's bringing Jacob back to Bethel. He's going to bless him again. He's going to reaffirm his name change to Israel again. And he's going to reaffirm his promise to make a great nation of him again. So you know what? God is utterly determined to bless Jacob and bless Jacob's family and bring blessing through Jacob's family to every family on earth, even though Jacob's family and every other family is a mess. Take, take, take God seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously. Shechem, Shechem was the most honored son of his father. And he, he, want, he, he was willing to pay anything to have Dinah as his wife. But as Shechem was a sinner among sinners, everything went sideways. Jesus, the absolutely most one and only honored and beloved son of his heavenly father, did pay everything his very own life, in order to purchase his bride. The legacy of Genesis chapter 34 is that Simeon and Levi responded to sin by murdering a bunch of sinners, thereby sinning in the process. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Glory,
and the great high priest is that he took responsibility for the sins of his people. And instead of bringing down the acts of justice on sinners, he took it upon himself. And that must shape the way that we respond to other people's sin. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would so transform our hearts that we would be eager to be conduits of of mercy and grace, truth and righteousness. Father, I pray that you would chisel away at the flesh, the sinfulness of our hearts. Teach us your ways that we might walk in your truth, that we would be the aroma of life to the world around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.